episode 156 above ground podcast getting real on the road to mental wellness with guest jonathan arenberg disclaimer the host of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. This episode is brought to you by Nipperfest. Nippertown is bringing you some of the best music from the Capital Region and calling it Nipperfest. Nipperfest is a local music festival and it's happening on Saturday, July 23rd at the Music Haven Central Parks, connected in New York. Local food, local craft beer. Did I mention it's free? July 23rd it's happening, so bring down the family. Stop at the Above Ground podcast table to say hi. P.S. This is kid and dog friendly. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because (laughs) you can't serve below. Oh, Timmy, I haven't had enough coffee yet, man. That's all right. I may have had too much. (laughs) You don't drink coffee, though, man. No, I don't. I'm just just a little funny here on a Sunday morning. Yeah, we are funny. Uh, as you know, if we are here on Zoom, then we must be sitting with a guest, and we must be having another interview, and we are joined by John Arenberg. John is a mental health advocate, blogger, author, and a former firefighter. Uh, he is the writer and owner of the Road to Mental Wellness blog, as well as the author of the Road to Mental Wellness book, which came out in October of 2021. And he is also one of the authors of stories in the I'm Possible Project Lemonade Stand 3, which happens to be a very, very good book and also important to us here at Above Ground Podcast. We've also had on... Josh Rivadal, who is the uh, creator of the I'm Possible Project on episode 144 back in March. And we've also had Carl Waggett on uh, at the fire inside on episode 114 and Rob Lethan and Uncomfortably Numb on episode 94. So, John, it is great to have another alum of the I'm Possible Project because nothing like saying anything is possible and I can from some of the stories I've read on your blog and your story that I read in the lemonade stand anything is possible when you can when you can confront your demons and look at yourself in an honest way and say I have the courage to ask for help how are you doing well first of all thanks for having me on your show I appreciate it um it's great to be above ground but uh I am I'm doing all right at the time I always say uh Doing so good so far. I'm doing good so far is usually how I put it. (laughs) Just simply because you, you know, you never know what may lie ahead in the moments of the days or the hours in front of you. But uh, it's all about uh, living in the moment. So right now, I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here. So well, we thank you very much for being here, man. We thank you so much for 
being willing to share your story. And I know how much courage it's taken you to share your story because you speak about it in your impossible story. Uh, the impossible story is called breaking the unwritten rule of silence, a firefighter story. And there's a lot of unwritten rules that we tend to take on when we take on roles. And I'm curious to start with how does identity and rolling everything of your identity into what you do and, and who you are affect how you are able to handle certain circumstances? Well, it's uh, if we go back to the days of the fire service, it's an interesting profession. Um, and I'm, I suppose many are, but uh, it becomes so intertwined with who you are as a person. You're helper you're you're the person that runs into uh, places that no one else will and you're also seeing things that nobody else does and uh it's all kind of intimate in a sense and it becomes uh, part of you and in your blood it's kind of well for me i can speak personally for myself it had seriously hindered my my wellness when i had to give it up i also worked in long-term care for a long time had to give that up as well i was kind of left in the uh the desert of life, you know, uh, just sort of wondering where or what my value was as a as a man, and as a uh, as a person who liked to help. As a man, how does it feel on your end to have to confront the change that you've had to? I know on my own personal level, I'm I'm going through a lot of it myself, and men of a certain age, we've 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 been indoctrinated to, you know, to all these degrees that, you know, men are supposed to be all these things that we were told, yet it leaves us empty as to how we move on from our own traumas and our own ability to even look at our traumas. Uh, the old stop your balling effect, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, Shut up or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, I, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a very, uh, I think it's a very tough place for for people of our men of our age to be in because uh, I think it kind of rubbed against my grain my entire life. What my expectations of being manly was, for example, you know, like you just didn't talk about these things or a critical incident stress debriefing in the fire service wasn't, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't very popular or it wasn't utilized enough because, you know, we can handle it now. <laughs> in order to heal, like you said at the beginning, you have to be honest with yourself. And I'm I'm kind of like a highly sensitive person anyway which has probably got me into trouble really in, in the mental uh, health side of things uh, probably exacerbated the post-traumatic stress but i think the fundamental catalyst that can push you forward there's a few things one is that you acknowledge who you are as a person and i suspect you're doing a podcast so you have uh, the urge to help people inside of you what i learned to do was just uh, evaluate how much chaos and destruction that so-called manly uh, wall had well, for a better term, I guess, damaged me along the way. And I thought, you know, how is that working for me? Or and how is that working for other men and other people generally? And the answer is, when I look back on my own uh, journey, uh, that particular style of living wasn't helping me at all. <laughs> In fact, it was destroying me. And so even, even though I love the fire service, for example, um, there's a lot of silence in there, as you read in the article, but, or in the uh, chapter. We have to uh, move past that damage and embrace who we are inside as a person. The other thing, of course, is the other two things are you have to find, first of all, you have to understand that 
passion isn't singular. Passion and purpose both aren't singular uh, events. So you can find another passion in life that can propel you forward, or you can find a multitude of passions that uh, propel you forward. And I think that's where um, that gets kind of gray in a gray area because I was sitting there. Now, what do we do? You know, after I was all done, it, co it coincides with moving forward, finding something new to do. You know, if you can be brave enough to accept that that deep down passion that you've always had, that you've had to suppress uh, for one reason or another, then I think um, it will give you a reason to get out of bed and uh, maybe uh, make your depressive episodes a little bit shorter. Uh, and give you some routine if you're not working in my case, which I'm on disability. So, so those are the fundamental things, just embracing who you are, um, understanding that passion isn't singular and that purpose will drive you forward. I would agree with those for sure. I think the, the whole thing, what you said about the, the purpose and the passion, I think that is uh, I think that's a really good way to look at it because people get caught up in having a purpose or finding a purpose and I think they get, like I said, they get caught up in that chase or that um, venture, that search for it. And instead of kind of just, uh, you know, sitting back and asking themselves, you know, what is it that I want to do or what is it that brings joy to my life? You know, mm -hmm. it can, it can stem from those questions. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's very hard because I think we're just from a young person's perspective and, and, and coming into adulthood, you're kind of uh, prepped to take on one specific thing. I want to be a doctor or a nurse or a firefighter or a carpenter. And then all of a sudden you start chasing that, that one dream or passion. And uh, it might not be what you want to do because uh, you've been told all your life that uh, men don't do those things. So one thing that I've always had in and sort of inside of me in terms of a passion that I really wanted was uh, writing. It just so happened that my passion was unleashed because I had two options. I sat there like a lump on a log and expired because I had no goals or I dug out this need to write and uh, desire to do so um, and start doing it and not, and not really caring what people think. I got to ask you, do you know where that desire to serve started did you find that as a as a young boy or was it life circumstances that presented you with the wanting and the desire to the way you explain it in your chapter is about being a superhero and and stuff and the stories that you told yourself going into the fire service about how you thought the fantasy was going to be did, did that passion to serve start you as a youth or uh, well yeah it started uh, very early on in fact i i was holding doors for people that uh, you know as, as early as i could uh, hold them open and hold them uh, so i think there's a, a, a whole aspect of my personality personality uh, my natural inclination that i had denied for so many years and that was like the intuitive part or the uh the desire to help others, I, I, you know, it's always been present. So, um, you know, like uh, some people want to be astronauts all their lives from the time they're three, I, and uh, there's some sort of motivation that pushes them forward. This sort of intuitive and uh, more uh, highly sensitive aspect of my personality has always driven me towards 
uh, helping others because if someone's uh, in discomfort, I automatically kind of pick up on it and uh, try to do my best. So um, being a being a man, um, that's all. We were always told to push all those things away, like the emotional parts, and you know, men don't do that kind of stuff or what have you. But it's always been a, it's always been there. I think part of it being disconnected from oneself makes it very difficult for us to find a path when our one connection has been severed. When that connection becomes bad and you don't and you don't have any fail safes in the background, we tend to, to spin in chaos. Can you tell me, can you tell us, not just me, uh, can you tell our listeners about how your background as an addictions counselor has helped you? And has it helped you? Well, it's an interesting story, really, because I got into long-term care, which is a, a facility for very behavioral people with severe mental challenges. And um, so I never actually utilized, I never actually practiced because I fell in love with helping people with disabilities. But, um, oh yeah, that, there are so many, there are so many skill sets that you learn that uh, are so beneficial, like uh, active listening and, and, uh, took six months of, you know, crisis counseling and in, in part of that course. And so there's a lot of things that, um, that are applicable, even though I didn't choose to win there for a profession. So, um, it helped with the self-evaluation in terms of saying, okay, what's wrong here? Like there's definitely... Definitely something wrong. <laughs> I've been light, lighting a blaze behind me ever since I can remember. <laughs> well, and uh, and I don't know why, but uh, that's where this book, The Road to Mental Wellness, came in because it was a it's an autobiographical account of my lifelong battle, and uh, it really between going off work and going on workers' compensation, there was a big gap there where I was just sitting there looking uh, stupid. So <laughs> what I did. Uh, was I, I decided to try to figure this out because, uh, you know, between being intuitive and, and a firefighter for eight, uh, 15 years, you, you learn. So you put that together, like, how do I solve this problem and uh, my behavioral background? So I kind of married the two and uh, and adopted that philosophy in the fire service where you have to do whatever you have to do to, to make it work or to, to survive it. Like chaos is everyday firefighting or not every day, but there's a lot of chaos involved in the fire service and, uh, and you have to make it better. So I kind of adopted that and that, and then I started writing the book and found, you know, when I, when I look at my background and reevaluating myself through the book as I went and, and having, um, the courage to seek any and all mental health, uh, help that I could get. Um, I think that, uh, it really is the reason I'm here. And when you bundle that all together, that's all passion and purpose. Really. When did you notice your, did, did you notice like mental health hurdles before your, your career ended in the, in the fire department or was that after, or how did that kind of transpire? And then from that, from there on, how long from that until you decided to kind of start writing a book? Well, it, it's, it spanned over the course of a, um, well, more than 15 years, because I took five years off when my when my young fellow was born, and then I went back in. I was just curious when you when you started to, to notice like your mental health declining. Was it more like during the career, or was it after the career, the in, with the fire department? Well, I I liken it to like carbon monoxide, right? So carbon monoxide is odorless, tasteless, and it can kill you without even even knowing, really. 
and uh, and it accumulate as it accumulates in the bloodstream. So what I look at it is sort of like a, that kind of effect. Whereas each call that I went to kind of chiseled away at my mental resilience. It, but I mean, I think it took probably ten years anyway to start to understand that there was there was something going on that I that was more than just um, you know work stress or family stress or all the above. There was more going on, and uh, so uh, I like to learn things. I, I so I uh, I took on the uh, responsibility. I call it that because you are responsible for your destiny in that sense, you always have a choice where you put your energy, regardless of how limited it is. So I looked at it, I looked at all the information on post-traumatic stress and, and then uh, um, the question became, what do I have to do to uh, minimize it? But that, that, like I say, that was over a course of 10 years. And then uh, I was too, I was a bit too busy being manly to, uh, to have a face-to-face -face with it, right? Um, so I, I ran from it for many, many years, uh, even though at some juncture I knew, like I said, there was sort of a devil on my shoulder that was wreaking havoc as we went. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I yeah, no. Totally, I, totally. I kind of want to piggyback on Tim's question, actually, because I was going to ask you if, if you noticed any mental health challenges as a youth. Did you have a tough childhood? Was it traumatic? Did, did, cause, or did this all really stem just from the constant chaos and not having the necessarily the, the tools to handle or necessarily recognize what was going on at first? Well, it's an interesting question. It's one I inter entertain at length in my book because uh, uh, there were – behavioral markers um, early on in uh, elementary school. Uh, I became uh, combative and uh, physically aggressive, um, not towards people, towards objects in myself, but um, I just thought that uh, at the time I was just a bad little kid. Because <laughs> at that time, you know, you're the problem child is all you are and no one it's like the fundamentally behavior always happens for a reason and you can either ignore the, you can either ignore it or you can explore it. Right. Right. So, um, back then I had no real idea, although I did see a therapist around the age of 10 or 11 and, uh, he was really good. So that kind of helped, but there was no official diagnosis or anything. We just were trying to minimize the bad kid <laughs> syndrome at that time. But I, looking back on it now, I would say that uh, that I was sad most of the time. So I think that there was something, I think that depression has been a part of my life for quite some time. Uh, curiously enough, though, I was it was the diagnosis that I was most most surprised of, you know, <laughs> and one of the last ones I, I, I got. So but when it clicked, it was like, ah, I get it. <laughs> you know, too bad i was 43 at the time <laughs> anyway. hey better late than never <laughs> that's right that's right how yeah. if you don't mind me asking how old are you now uh 40 46 wow <laughs> dude i'm about to turn 50 
Like I'll be turning <laughs> 50 in the next few weeks. So I, oh, congratulations. Yeah, no, no, let's not, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, hope everything's still working, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they, they make drugs for everything now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Will, Will, Will's like, Will's like wine. He gets better with age. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, you know, it's funny because we taught, like we put so much pressure on the youth to pick, things that they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And then we, we as people wake up at some point and realize that a lot of those paths weren't necessarily ours to have forever. And they were just a path to get you to the next point. I'm, what is, what is one question that you can ask yourself if you can tell our listeners that you can start to explore some of this stuff? Because I think a lot of people are just, I think a lot of people are afraid to ask questions about themselves because they're afraid of what they have to face. Because once you start asking the question, that does put the responsibility in your court. And I always like to say that it's not about being responsible. It's about being responsible will, because you have to be willing to be responsible. It's not about the ability. It's about the willingness to, to, to be curious. Uh, fundamentally, if you're if you stay idle, you won't. You, you'll have a harder time. It all it, as long as you're moving forward um, incrementally is more important than leaps and bounds. But um, what I've learned about humans <laughs> through you know massive human behavioral learning and neurology and my own experience and all that stuff is that human beings and, and particularly in this day and age do just about everything. Uh, that's counterproductive to their own well-being. We eat too much. We drive too fast. We we deny we deny we have problems. We, you know. So what I just say very simplistically is is uh, do the opposite of what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like I think that was a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yeah, well, it could have been, but really, uh, when you think about the amount of like, you could sit back and think about the amount of destruction that we we do to ourselves, right? You sit in chairs all day. We're not supposed to do that, right? Your mental health will will, uh, will blossom if you move around and, and work, or if you eat a better diet, it'll come around better, right? So fundamentally, if you want to make change, you have to have the courage to say, I'm, uh, I'm going to slowly wean myself off the bag of chips and the chocolate bars, or I'm going to you know, walk five minutes a day for the first two weeks and then 10 minutes the next, and then you know, 20 the next, and then I'm going to run for five minutes, and then I'm going to run for 10 minutes, and then, right? That's progress, right? And all those things in itself can give you purpose and passion. Do the opposite of what we're doing now. <laughs> I like that. Do you think that, uh, you know, having the courage is 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 key? Because I feel like courage can open you up and get you to that point, but maybe, like, discipline will keep you on that path. What well, is yes, your so- thoughts? Yeah, you have to you have to have some sort of uh, discipline. But I mean, I, it can be resolved. Your discipline can be in form of resolve. So, um, what I mean by that is is don't get too rigid uh, on a plan at first because you're likely to, to fail. What I'm why I brought up you know you walk five minutes a day and then you walk ten minutes because you're gradually reprogramming your brain uh, um, to just make habit right. Really, when you think about it, um, there's a lot of stuff in this world that's just too tough. You have to do it. Like, if you if you want to change, you have to do it. It's it's, it's not it's on. The, and the one the the caveat here is getting over, or embracing being uncomfortable, because as long as you're comfortable, you're going to sleep in that lazy boy. <laughs> yes, that's true. Right? 
We we you know, talk about that quite often here, for sure. I don't think it's I don't think it's fear so much. I think people are just too damn comfortable, you know. And of so, course, there are lots of things that we fear. Um, of course, you know, facing my traumatic experiences was never was never a joyous occasion. And it's still, <laughs> you know, but uh, people have to uh, be more open with themselves. And uh, the thing is, like, so if I if I'm a vegetarian, so uh, people usually say to me, "But I love chicken." Well, uh, that's that's great. You love chicken, and I have no problem with that. But if, if if all the science in the world tells you that chicken is going to kill you, you probably should do something else. It's not me telling you. It's just like simplifying it, right? You know, if you want to get better, then you have to look at the the information that's out there and say, like, it's it's amazing the amount of data out there on exercise and mental health, right? If you're going to I sit agree. there, right? If you're going to sit there yeah. and say, oh, I, I want to feel better, well, why don't you exercise? I ain't going to do that. But if you look at the science, see, do the opposite, right? Well, why don't you yes. eat, uh, eat better? Well, I love my uh, I love my hot pockets. Well, they're also killing you and causing your uh, mental health to go down the hill. <laughs> so pockets. you either want to suffer, or you want to be uncomfortable and make progress. Exactly, exactly. It's I, it, I, when I was at the front the, door of the house fire or something, I couldn't go. Well, fuck it, I'm going home. You had to take care of that house fire, right? And you have to take care of this 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 house fire that goes on within your heart, mind, and soul. There's those are the two choices you have. You slip into oblivion or you get better. And you find those motivations through support from family, friends, or loved ones, or, or um, whatever slice of gratitude you can grab hold of, anything that pulls you forward, right? So, I mean, that's my two cents worth anyway. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, I, I like it. I like the way you, that you put it. I like the analogies. Yeah. You know, we should be here to inspire one another too. I, that, that's what I'm hoping to achieve through telling my own story. So far, no one's called me a narcissist yet, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I, that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Uh, Tim and I started this podcast together because we both wanted to share our stories, but we also wanted to share our stories to make people more comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And right. that's how we do it. That's how we break stigma. That's how we get rid of stigma is by opening up the conversation. And I think it's even more important that men have this conversation. And yeah, men should be having this conversation as often as they can because it's I, it's actually um, – it was funny because I wrote something down this morning that you inspired me to say. It's not man, – manning up is speaking up. It's not – that's really what it is. Manning up is speaking yeah. up. Yeah, I really believe that. Um, you know, even, even forcing change in a social context, it's the same deal, right? You have to put yourself out there. You have to – you have to feel uncomfortable and you have to achieve goals. Like there's no fundamental difference between what we do human in a human sense, right? There's certain things that we respond to behaviorally or don't respond to regardless of the category. I mean, if you don't go to work, you don't get paid, right? If you don't uh, tie your shoes, you'll fall down. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, like it's all, there's always a consequence. And I think that uh, people aren't willing to face those no matter what it is. So I have a relatively large mouth. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and uh, I mean, I have sort of a filter, but um, when I see injustice, I just can't handle it, right? Part of the reason that I do the road to mental wellness and why I'm trying to expand it in terms of contributing writers is because we can use mental health as a unifier um, instead of this all this division. For example, um, people in uh, like Africa men face the same problems that are mental health wise as we do. And um, 
it's, it's very prevalent in India and other places. And I've done talks in, in Nigeria. And the same stories come out whether I'm talking to you guys. I don't know where you're at. Sorry. Maryland, is it? No. Upstate so, New York. Upstate New York. Um, whether you're in upstate New York or you're in, you're in, you know, Tibet. <laughs> well, maybe that's a little more peaceful, but, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. So um, I'm so tired of the division. I'm, I'm pretty, my mandate is to uh, use mental health as a, as a unifier, because I haven't heard anybody say my PTSD is worse than yours, <laughs> which I see on the internet over other subjects quite often. Um, how, we're all kind of supportive. Yeah, how can we, how can we start to do that? Cause I like that idea. And I, I, I think that would, I think it, it could bring everybody up higher on another level, you know, not just, I mean, with everything, I just think it's a, you know, with communication, with wellness, understanding, mm -hmm. empathy, yeah. All those things are catalysts for change. Um, we have to get rid of the mentality that for some reason I said something that you didn't like, so you're my automatic enemy. So I don't, I don't find that's the, the nice thing about mental health, the area of mental health. I don't find that, you know, people aren't doing that. People are saying like, if you're not on Twitter for a while, they'll message you. Hey man, you okay. You know? <laughs> or if you don't show up to a podcast, which I've been known to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hit a major depressive swing and I forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all deal with that when we have depression because right. I, I struggle with that myself. Perfect example right there, right? You didn't say, well, we wouldn't have you back, right? Right. Right. You would just That's come up I mean, with a new right? date. You would come up with a new date and say, I, I get it because I, I live, I live yeah. it. I, I know it. It's, it's the one area that I find people are most able to relate to. And, and in Canada, anyway, about 80% of the population will have a mental health condition by the by the time they're done their life so it's a it's a good place to start we need to find a place to stick that pick in where we can climb towards unity because this shit ain't working and it's you know creating um a, a mental health crisis of you know in a in a unbelievably tragic and sad kind of way so what i what i want what i'm doing is i'm having contributing writers and i've had had some from africa and some from india and you know there's going to, there's a new fella who's going to be writing for me, although he's from here, he's going to represent the, you know, the, the LBGTQ plus community. Um, so I think that, uh, and as men um, who are territorial or whatever, I don't know, you know, you get uncomfortable around other people. It really does open up, right? Open up your mind and your soul. And the best way to, uh, I mean, racism causes a lot of tension in mental health. So the, but the best thing you could do to ease your, ease your hatred for people or and therefore uh, making your mental health better is to sit down and have a meal with somebody from a different nature or a different culture. You know, Absolutely. Different... I, I agree 100%, man. I, I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of it is the stories that we are told or tell ourselves or these things that we ingest that are just not fall are just totally false because we're so afraid to be uncomfortable because none right. of this is comfortable this is not a comfortable and these aren't comfortable dis discussions to have but no. nothing gets nothing gets fixed in comfort like you said and that's really yeah. what it is man that's right you don't want to stew in your own you know misery and your own narratives that you've been taught all your life uh, my partner's from Kolkata actually and it's it's been a wonderful experience because I uh it opens up my mind to uh, their cult the cultural differences that are there 
But what's more interesting to me is the uh, is the similarities. You know, you know, everybody that I know that's from different countries has their own struggles and their own pain and their own culture that impacts their their health, mental health, or otherwise. But the, the fundamental thing is that I keep telling people everywhere I go is that um, pain is pain. So why why should we put labels on it, right? Yeah, I actually heard something interesting, and I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but we all the the thing that we all have is adversity. We're all either coming out of an adversity, we're all dealing with adversity right as we speak, or we're just getting over an adversity. And if right. we can keep that in mind as we talk with other people and open ourselves up, we can we can start, and that's a good starting point because we all we all suffer the human condition, regardless of how we handle it, we all suffer right. the human condition. Right. It's a uh, human suffering in its totality, not in a, not in a group mentality, you know, like I, I know that groups do wonderful things, but I think that uh, they're algorithmic, algorithmic in a way, because once you get into a, um, a group, um, so I'll give you an example. Somebody said, you're so passionate about stuff. Why don't you get involved in a men's group? My answer was absolutely not. And their aunt, they, they looked at me kind of funny. And I, I said, well, if you get into a group situation, there's a there's a threat there. They do a good job. And then there's a threshold where they start to uh, like be in that algorithm of uh, their own concern. Right. Tribalism, yeah. kind of the, your own team, kind of surrounding right. yourself with your own tribe where you're not – you're just absorbing an echo chamber essentially. Right. And you're only screaming and hollering about what, what, what your narrative is. And you're reinforcing your narrative and becoming enemies with the group beside you. Um, that's why I refuse to do that. It's awfully hard on your mental health to fight with people every day. So I, I, I try to, so if you come to me and you need help and support, I'll give it to you. Um, if somebody from Zimbabwe wants to talk about their mental health, I will afford them the same thing. If they're female, if they're male, if they, they or they have some other identity that they, they identify as. The person in front of me is what matters. The totality of human suffering is what we need to heal. I know that every group has their problems, but I mean, what are the yeah, commonalities? For sure. I was just going to say that. Like, we all have some things that are in common. We should focus on that instead. We had um, uh, Anna Elizabeth from the Five Facets of Healing on, uh, I think, episode 136. And she had said, uh, no, one ex no one is exempt from or no one is exempt from suffering. And everyone is entitled to healing, which mm -hmm. I thought was very. Uh, it's very good. Yes. Yeah. It fits what we're talking about here today because. Uh, that, yeah, that's kind of. <laughs> we can relate just because, I mean, we've all been in pain. We've all withdrawn from society. We've all, you know, felt like maybe ending our own lives or, or somewhere in that spectrum. So we, we get it. Right. And we don't. And there's so many people that are suffering through it and all over the world that. It doesn't become about gender or race. It becomes about kindness and, mu and, and mutual healing. And that's the yeah. that's the thing that I'm really trying to do here. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really sick of all this uh, engineered division. So it's time that we we get together, right? Agree. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I think, and I think that the way you had stated it a few minutes ago, I think is actually really beneficial because I think we do have to recognize though, man, we do not all have the same journeys. Okay. 
We do not all face the same hurdles, and we all haven't faced the same hurdles. We do all deal with pain, but we also have to acknowledge that everybody has a different set of hurdles, and those hurdles aren't always the same as we think they are. So it's, I think there's a point where you can, you can distill it down to pain, but you also have to recognize that people who who black people have a different journey than we do just like lgbtq people have a different right because they they've experienced different stuff we can start with pain and yes but but we do have to acknowledge that there's other stuff there that that has to be recognized also and i think that that's part of the problem with the way things are is that we don't want to recognize that they didn't have the same journey we did Yes, we well, all feel pain, know, but I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. And one of the, from a counseling practice's point of view, uh, we don't we don't know enough. We kind of freestyle our lives in terms of trying to help people. We try to fake it till we make it. But there are certain things that you can do. For example, anyone who's who's suffering, they just want help, right? Right. Um, so, um, and one of the best ways to deliver help is by active listening. So, regardless of, of the source of suffering if you have the ability to listen to them you'll 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 hear it and uh the other thing is is that um, offering support um sometimes we feel like we have to act when somebody's talking to us oh my god what do i say what do i do how do i fix this for them the reality is that the best support you can give somebody is by doing logistical supports like so when i'm having a, a, a like a traumatic period of time or something i have some people will help me more than other times, like with the logistics, right? Like uh, helping me write a letter or something, you know, just as a small example. Those are ways we can help one another without having to feel like we're, we have to put on a superhero costume and solve the problem. Um, so that that generally works with uh, most people because um, one of the common themes I hear uh, on my travels is that I don't feel like I'm being heard, you know, or validation is what you hear often, right? And uh, so I think that as a unifier, those those skill sets will help tremendously across, you know, different uh, ethnic backgrounds and different different you know mental health needs. I wish we could learn more about those kind of things. You know, learn a little bit more about neuroscience and how the brain behaves. That'll help you too. <laughs> Absol- <laughs> you know? Absolutely, knowing how your body works and knowing how certain things work in your body when you put them into your body or when you take mm-hmm. them out of your body. And right, yeah. It's important too to if you want if you're advocating for mental health, you also have to advocate for yourself. And one of the things you can do is when, when you learn about the the neurobiology of how post-traumatic stress works, for example, you can explain that to people. So I, I tell people all the time, like my my fear response, my flight or fight response is always in an argument with my reasoning ability, which is in the prefrontal cortex of your brain, right, or your executive function, or it overrides the the logic center, which is also in the prefrontal cortex. But I mean, you put it in layman's terms, you just say like my, because I'm tra- traumatized, I'm always on threat threat alert. And uh, it's like somebody took the switch that shuts that off when you get scared and broke broke it off because <laughs> it's always on, right? So when people, when if you can frame it in a way that other people understand it, then you then people are, I find are, are much better about it, right? But that's how yeah, you to learn good... too, right? Like you, you need to learn about what's making you tick. Absolutely. Yes. And you can't do it. I'm feeling anxiety because, I mean, it's good to find the source, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like it's my anxiety doing it or it's my, it almost turns into excuse after a while, I find. I don't know if that's. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I think it can definitely turn into an excuse. It can definitely, it can definitely hold us in a pattern because I think, I do think that some depression, at least from my vantage point, was learned, as I have family of history of things, and I also think that some of it is a comfort thing where we're just comfortable at a certain level of of sadness, we'll say. And then we get comfortable with that and, and that becomes our identity. And it's interesting what we're willing to put on ourselves. Right. I call it dysfunctional, um, comfortability because like, for example, you always seem to get in that relationship with that same person. Right. Uh, but just a different face, you know, and, uh, that's because you don't know anything else. Sure. And you always bring the same and you always bring your same self to that relationship unless you've, done or unless you're willing to do the work so it right i totally had it yep yeah yeah that's why i think people well people people talk about like uh you know relationships or or current situations and they're like oh i need i need to like switch a job or i need to move out of state or i need to go here i need to get rid of and at some point you have to stop and go well if you don't fix the shit inside none of that's going to make a difference because wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> it's gonna fly. It's gonna follow you. Yeah, you can go to Mars with Elon Musk if you want, but it's still gonna be right. Be there well until Mars eats you. You know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's a very good point, isn't it? You know. Um, yeah. I think you I think you really have to become self-aware on, on on a multitude of levels. Like, uh, so for example, um, I have to catch myself thinking: Is this a normal response that I'm having? Like a normal anxious response or am I dipping into a post-traumatic stress? Because if I don't recognize that, then I make it, it turns into a post-traumatic stress incident, right? (laughs) Or episode rather, you know, so it's really, it really is worth one's while to, to really learn about how you tick, um, not only as an individual, but as a, as a person, like as a human being, right? You're wired, for example, for negativity. It's one of the survival instincts we have. Uh, You don't want to be near that. So you go that way, right? So it's it's more likely that you're going to focus on negative uh, things, behaviors, and, and uh, ruminations rather than uh, propelling yourself forward. That's not again. That's why you have to do the opposite. Some people tell me, I don't understand why why the good memories are always much more foggy and uh, the bad ones. That's why. It's <laughs> right. Your your negative your, your negative wiring is very much uh, attracting attracting uh, or scanning for problems. Right. So. It becomes more uh, hardwired. So, um, do you? Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, do you think that you could share uh, with us and our listeners maybe some things that you do, uh, some some tools, tips that can you know keep you more on the wellness side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, um, up until lately, I've <laughs> I've eaten really well. COVID kind of threw me into a tailspin. Uh, I, you know, I, like I said about the science, so I open up the journals and I read them and I find common denominators in there that have to relate to the problem that you had. In this case, it's mental health. And just for an example, I have in my book, it talks about um, running and how I view it as uh, mental health medication. Because like in the publications, it's all there. Like it's running, running as a common theme or exercise in general. So I said, well, let's do the opposite. And let's do that. So I lugged my arse outside and I started walking and running. And before I knew it, I was doing a 10K a week just for fun. 
and uh, I noticed a substantial difference in my mental health. Um, the self-awareness thing is uh, is good, and that becomes uh, effective when you take you know go to cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, to challenge those negative notions and to you know and to challenge your growth that way. You know, obviously, I write. That's helpful. And all the things I mentioned before, finding purpose. And, uh, and I also set boundaries with myself, you know. So if I'm in a depressive episode, I'm not going to give myself permission to sleep in bed for a week and a half or two weeks. Now, I'm not saying that people don't need that sometimes. What I'm saying is that I cap it. So I can give myself three days in bed, two to three days, three max, and I roll myself out of the bed and at least land on the couch or, or mess around with the website or talk to somebody that's in my support system, you know, those kind of things. Like you have to be real with yourself. You, get, and that's, you can be hooked in by, because depression has its own narrative, right? It, uh, it talks to you. And it, so it makes it like people, and people don't, this is why self-awareness is so important because people, uh, especially young people, they become, um, they mistake it for their, their own narrative when it's a mental illness that's doing all the talk. You know, nobody likes me or, you know, I suck at this or I'll never be anything or that's not you. Right. Right. Uh, you know, that's I've had I've had to learn how to I've had to learn over the years that that's just the story that I tell myself because of the way that my depression works. Right. And it's it's been it, but it's been hard. It's been hard yes, because I can. Because again, it, there's a comfort level, man. The depression that I have is like a t- the most comfortable pair of jeans that you can have. They're like, so yeah. it's they're comfortable and they even look good so, on you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're familiar. Jacket with the tassels, eh? That, kind of idea. <laughs> Eighty-five is over, but I still love my jacket. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, there, there, there is a really, uh, really strong need to become self-aware. And, and, and mentally health, mental, um, and learn the language of mental illness, right? Anxiety is always building stories that aren't true. <laughs> oh yeah, you it's know? a big liar. It is. Yeah, but we, but we, uh, we, um, we conform to them like they're 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 us. In reality, they're not really. And, and it's uh, funny because we can separate ourselves from everything else, it seems, but yet we can't separate ourselves from our own negative cognitive distortions it's pretty incredible because we've we've learned that we're separate from everything that's what we've taught that's what we're taught we're taught we're separate from our our gods we're taught we're separate from you know the people next door to you we're taught that you know this group is bad and this group is bad and it's just like but yet we can cling to our own negative self-cognitive distortions it's crazy right that, that reminds me of a, you know um, everybody's just sort of closing the door after work nowadays and, uh, you know, that's just reinforcing an, um, uh, a counterintuitive um, position, you know, like it's not, it's, it's, what is it doing for, so it's fundamentally humans are meant to move around, have connection, seek out partnerships, whether they be relationships or friendships. And, um, and they're, they're meant to be busy, sort of, you know, we're always supposed to be in motion, but how much of that is going on today? So if you're not if you're not if you're going home and shutting the door, you're not interacting with any neighbor, you know, any connection. There's no block parties. There's no nothing. Right. right? So. Um, so do the opposite. Do the opposite. Yes. Go say you go say it. hello to your neighbor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
if they're then you'd make judgments based on whether they're nice or they're not, right? Yeah, ac- maybe accurate. Well, maybe maybe well, accurate. Know, so judgment. Listen, if, if the person's conservative, which I'm I'm not, um, I still I'll still listen um, because I'm not his enemy, right? Right. I'm I'm not on, I'm not really on the liberal left either, so they're not my enemies either. I just want to avoid the fringes and and talk to the people that make differences. You know, I'm I'm supposed to meet with the minister and of mental health and addictions here in our province and they're conservative. I, I have strong views about conservatism as a whole, as an organization, but on individual levels, if we don't work together, then what do we have? Right. We don't have, we have the separateness and we have this division that we have now. And it's, right. and I like how you put it in the engineered division because it's clearly been engineered by, and I think it's also been allowed to be engineered by our inability to, to look at things with open eyes and see that, wow, you know, maybe there's a lot of things that aren't right about this whole thing. Yeah, it's somebody else's problem, though, always. That's the, that's the unfortunate part. Well, right. We always think somebody else is going to fix it. We always say, oh, no, they'll fix it because that's what their job is or that. Right. We don't and think- you know what? That's collective through over the world, you know, like in India and places. I had the same conversation with people everywhere, right? Essentially, what's happened is we've been hijacked by people who care more about money than they do about uh, anyone else. So um, when you have a collective uh, narcissistic um, framework at the top, they don't care whether you live or die or make five cents. They don't care. So it's up to us. So the thing is that one of the things that, it, and it's one of the single most uh, biggest impacts on our, on our mental health because uh, everybody feels kind of lost and doesn't know what to do. That's that's crazy on your on your noggin, <laughs> uh, but really when you think about it. So when you see every once in a while, I'll see on Facebook that the gas prices are going up. So I'm going to boycott the, the garage and I'm going to try to start a Facebook page that you know that uh, tries to take out all you know. If I can get ten thousand people not to go to this gas station, right? That's 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 actually the right way to do it, right? Because you know these people are so uh, are so sensitive to their bottom lines that if you could organize uh, instead of being afraid and, and if you want to take back your power and your and better mental health um, there has to be some sort of social pushback it doesn't have to be like you see in Ottawa here or or on in the insurgents in, uh, in the U.S. last year those are all kind of fringy and uh, more divisive than you could ever imagine but if we want to really fix our mental well-being and our, and our ourselves we really need to uh we can do that you know like these companies are so sensitive to uh their shareholders that if, if could you imagine if 10 million of us refuse to buy iphones yeah i don't think that's going to happen however <laughs> however <laughs> it is it's a but, but the, how come these fringes can order um organize and and cause more mental health problems but you and i and joe blow and all those people we won't we won't right do you love your iphone that much that you're willing to suck the sh- the mental health out of your soul. You know, <laughs> right. You know. I get what you're, I get where you're coming from. I, it's funny because you kind of use the, the analogy about boycotting gas stations. The only problem with that though, at least here in this country is those gas yeah. stations are owned by stores that are owned yeah. by people that still have That's to right. make a living too. So it's That's like, right. yeah. th- there's the conundrum yeah. there. It's a vortex <laughs> of, you know, how do you, like, again, how do you separate yourselves from, Okay, so if 10 million people stop buying plastic crap from Walmart, 
I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't. I. I think the oil industry. Well, I, I think it. I think it's also. I think it's also kind of what you were talking about before is being aware, right? Like, is is it is iPhone the problem, or is it people abusing their iPhone? Right. Is it, is it our relationship knowing, to it? Is it right? Is it our relationship and how we're handling it? Just like it's the way I see actually mental health as a whole. Is is mental health growing or? is is it the way that we are handling it is that our relationship to mental health because we're doing things that are more destructive to it than than to help it so right. you know what i mean is it causation yeah. is it correlation who knows but i think education is key you know what i mean we don't own these these devices they're not part of us right we have the choice to turn it off to unplug that's the key like i get what you're saying and i and i I agree to a, to an extent, but we have to do it like as Will said, with you know, with some uh, mindfulness and and understanding, right? As as it's not that simple as to let's just cancel this TV show because it's it's bad. Let's talk well, about it. Now, why can't well, we do it? <laughs> well, well let's, I, let's there's a lot of that. There's yeah, a lot I, of that. I, I understand. I, Eye for an eye leaves right. everybody blind. That's the problem. Right. You know no, what I mean? I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather teach people what, because what you have no power. You can, you can, as a society, and it's earnest on your mental health. But those are um, very non-aggressive ways to to uh, demand better for everyone, right? You know, sure. Instead of seeing today, right? Right. Instead of, you know, instead of threatening people or, you know, you know, trying to kill people and, you know, telling right. like, no, I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think we should all, we should all get rid of the news. I think we should all stop yeah. buying, buying okay. into the whole newspaper magazines. I think we should stop tuning in and, and stop going on social media and following it. It's, because it, again, right. if, 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 if you stop following it and stop giving them what they want, which is attention, they're going to eventually dissipate. That's right. It's a hundred percent. And it's, that's just a basic human behavior, right? So one of the, one of the cornerstones of the mental health crisis is the media. Right? Correct. So they're not, they're I, not I gonna, 100% agree with that. On CNN tonight because we're having a good conversation about mental health. But if Donald Trump says he, he wants to, he hopes the truckers in Ottawa get whatever they want or smash the place up, you know, that's going to be all over everywhere. Right. So it, it's dysfunctional and it's, and it's, uh, that's what it, sells. It's dysfunctional right. at its best, and it's and it's heinous at its worst. It's immoral, sure. whatever you can think of. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. See, it, that's the thing about mental health is it all ties into this sort of thing, you know. But I, I mean, think the social engineering part of all of this is actually, I think, because we've had actually psychology used against us. Oh, and, we, and we've bought into it. And that's really what all this social engineering and algorithm is. It's all based on mental health. It's all based on how we think and how we feel. Right. And it's all based Most on people, that emotion. Our research, our, our um, psychologists, market psychologists, you have to be uh, totally unaware of yourself as a person or just cold to try to figure out how to manipulate somebody's behavior. Right. We call that narcissism. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, and here, yeah. here are these psychologists who are sworn to help. They're 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 um, they're doing the opposite. They're doing more Me- damage. The media are the biggest gaslighters of all time, man. That's right. Yeah, we're all being abused. That's why we feel absolutely right. Right, <laughs> yeah. and unfortunately, it's leading us to abuse one another. 
Right. Well, we're just tired. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're tired. We're beat. We're we're done with COVID. We're done with with whatever side of the camp you sit on. Instead of so, you know, the best the other way we can do this too is to recognize that there are inequalities and my and, and um, uh, minorities do in fact have a harder time, and we should all pay attention to that and, and walk beside people who are more disadvantaged than, than we are. But the commonality that we have is. Um, economic inequality absolutely because so again, the, the, that's the biggest way thing. to solve a mental health crisis is to take care of the basic needs of people you know what right. i mean does to take care and i'm not saying to take care of them like again when you say take care of people you know every, like people on the right automatically go oh you can't give everybody everything and it's just it becomes this this big cluster fuck of you know but the thing is is that if we actually took care of the basic needs of people and people's right. basic needs were met, you know, housing. That's a mental health part. How do you concentrate right. on your mental health if you don't have a fucking place to live? Or if you can't afford a place to you live because you're get working job. jobs. Right, get another job. <laughs> Pull yourself up by your fucking bootstraps. You're not working hard so, enough. Bullshit. So your kids go, the next generation of kids can be worse off than we are because we weren't able to raise them. Right, exactly. And that's, and that's a big part of it, too, is that you've got people that are stretched think. out. And again, are we meant to have kid, as many kids as we do? Like those are these are all self these are all questions that we have to ask ourselves. But again, we're too we're too worried about what everybody else is doing to worry about our own grass. Right. You know, the economic inequality is a, is a great one because if we could break free of this algorithmic um, torture chamber, you know, psychological torture chamber that they put us in, and realize that I can stand beside you and whoever else, you know, anyone across across North America, let's say, it doesn't matter where they're from, where, what they look like, who they are. Um, if they're economically disadvantaged, it's our advantage as a, as a group to work together as a society, not, not saying that uh, um, because I'm wearing a black shirt, the guy with the blue shirt, you know, he's going to fight his own battle. I'm going to fight mine. When reality, we, we just need T-shirts that fit us. I like that. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I think that's why they, but that's, but that's part of the reason why they, there is that such of in, you know, in, in inequality, if you want to call it, because that keeps the divide. Well, it is inequality. It's not a matter of calling it. It is inequality. There's inequality. I'm just, just, right. But I'm telling you, you guys are talking about manufacturing things. That's what, that's, that's the, that's the root of it. But inequality wasn't manufactured though. Inequality was built in that. Like that's where, unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. We're that's the karmic damage that has been done. Like inequality was built in to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you keep if you don't do anything about it and you keep keep going and you know creating more of a divide, then you're not going to ever see any change. Well, the, the problem with the divide right too is is that if you don't have conversations like this, that you like if you're not even willing to say there's inequality, then that's part of the divide. Like then that's part I of the problem. I was just I didn't say that. I was just no, but I'm saying like if somebody's out there saying there's no inequality, that is the right. biggest. Like that's just then you're, you are part of the problem. Like, then you are not I, self-aware because then right. you're just not willing to look at everybody else. You're only looking at yourself from your own little gated whatever it is that you're in. Yeah. Well, this is why I try carefully not to not to use, like, uh, I don't, I'm not a huge, avo- I'm not advocating hugely for men's mental health specifically. Right. For a woman, I get women's it. mental health specifically or, 
you know, African-Americans health specifically, I'm more interested in saying, like, how do we, let's build a community that's of all, of all shapes. I agree. Lots of life. I agree. I agree um, fully with that for sure. I think that's because that's how we, you know, that's how we learn, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. you start putting people into categories, then you start that thinking of like, oh, right. there is and a difference, right? There's a divide, see, right? But no, it's, it's every, the same category. If it's divided, and it, it will eventually be corrupted. So, I mean, uh, let's be honest. Um, I feel like um, in some situations, the tide's turned on people. Like if you have a circle of a, of a bunch of people that are in that circle, and you feel left out and you deserve to be in that circle 100%, you need to make the circle bigger, not push people out of it, right? Right, right, because that's what causes causes all the problems is that. Well said. All of a sudden sudden you become irrelevant because you're you're over on the other side of the circle line. It doesn't matter who you are, right? You understand what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, totally. You're recreating or reestablishing the problem that got us here in the first place. (laughs) <laughs> Only with a just different color or different gender or a different cultural belief system. Absolutely. The core principles of being human should take priority. Do you, think we've, do you think we've forgotten what it's – do you think we've forgotten what hum, hu, being human is? Yes, I think so to a certain degree because uh, we've had it so good for so long that uh, we don't know how good we have it, you know. Um, people are fighting for freedom all over, the, all over North America, but really uh, overall – Compared to other countries, and I've I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people, um, you are very free comparatively. I mean, we have a lot of problems we need to fix. That's not what I'm saying. Um, there are still uh, women in other countries, for example, who who can't even buy cigarettes in a store or walk by themselves. Right? Um, your the social justice improprieties that are here are important, but. Equally important is that we all step back and evaluate how lucky we are and what we do have and what we can best do to improve what, what we live in. Um, because, uh, again, I'm not interested in fighting with somebody who, who has it more than the other person or the other group. That's, you know, um, it's, it's awfully hard on the old noggin, right? And to have so right now it seems to be sometimes somewhat it seems to be a, a pick on on men for example, um, I'm not I'm not just saying that because I'm a man it just seems to be the the uh, popular narrative at the moment it'll shift of course but um, so I want to walk alongside everyone as a man as a white dude I want to help everyone right so I don't I don't want to be lumped into a category of of a misogynist or a whatever you want to call me <laughs> just because I, I agree I agree I want to better than that I want to help you I can't help you though if you're going to push me out right wow that's 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 true man I like that John thank you for Very sharing true. that yeah John thank you so much for being here man um oh, Tim this has been an awesome conversation man it's getting ready to to start the lightning round and i just wanted to know if you had any other uh, any other questions before we started for john i don't think i do awesome how do i get my hair to look this good Uh, (laughs) i don't know but if you if you can tell me maybe you can help me regrow some of it head and shoulders there bud yeah yeah. (laughs) 
Awesome. John, thank you so much for being here, man. We're going to ask a few questions to finish up. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Oh, how do you even answer that question? I swear like a sailor and love them all. So (laughs) whatever you want, you'd be in good company. If you chose the top one, trust me that it's been chosen a lot. (laughs) My least favorite word. I think right now it would have to be division. Did you ask me for a favorite word? Yeah, both. If you potential. have it, if not, potential. Right. Nice. Nice. Because humans have, humans have, regardless of what they go through, and we've done it many, many times, numerous times in history, have a great capacity to come together and fix things. The only fundamental difference between our generation and, and generations and or in historical perspectives is that. Um, we don't do anything to really help the situation. It might not be our fault entirely, but we still don't. So we have that potential, and that's what I cling to. I like it, clinging to potential. That's a good one, man. That's the first time we've ever heard potential. Well, I am a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. That's right. Uh, That's right. Don't worry. We'll We'll have all the links in the show notes when we put this episode out. Uh, the next question is, what is your definition of courage? Um, uh, having the strength to um, overcome your own obstacles. If the better um, the better um, you can treat yourself and figure out your problems, the better you can uh, help others. Right. So like I've just given an example, if you have a if you have a great relationship as a parent, two parents, your kids are going to flourish. But if you focus on that kid all the time and not the broken relationship, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder. So that's that's where I stand on that. Nice one. Nice one. So the last. If there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done to mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? Um, looking at it from a multitude of angles uh, or coming at it with a multitude of angles and solutions. Like, so the go-to right right now in, in, in many circles is to add more buildings and to add more professionals, but there's so much more we can do. And we talked about all of this today, right? Tackling inequality, um, learning how to unite as a, as a, as a society rather than divide. Um, you know, if you're, if you have a political leader who's, who does, uh, something really excellent for society as a whole, you feel good about that leader, right? We, that's why we need to stand up and demand better because we can get good leaders. We just have to force them to comply <laughs> or maybe not comply, but uh, um, what will be the word I would like to use? The, you know, um, it would take their attention off um, the business interest and put it back where it belongs. Democracy is for people, right? Not for, not for companies. Socialism doesn't exist for billionaires, or it does exist for billionaires, and then they tell you you're a piece of shit when you want it, piece of it. So, anyway, that's my spin on it. Very nice well, tackling tackling inequality. That's a that's a mighty big job that will probably take an entire generation or two, and that's depending on whether or not the planet can survive that. But I hope as my child grows older and stuff, she has that ability to do but 
it remains to be seen, I guess. With that, with that said, just I know you want to go, but what I find has been more beneficial to me is I used to try to take the world on. I'd run on the back of a fire truck or I, would, I was very involved in politics and uh, all that kind of stuff. But you know what I found is more effective is, is uh, one person at a time, uh, never asking for anything in return, asking them to pay it forward other than pay it forward. And, uh, you know, that's why writing this book is, uh, fits that very well, because as a singular person, you can have an intimate relationship with the story, and so can potentially millions of others. So I think if we focus, not not try to take it on in the big picture, but necessarily, but um, we might be able to spread the good stuff around if we we uh, really work on it on an individual level or smaller level. Love it. Love it. John, thank you so much for your time today, man. Um, John is much. the author and blogger at theroadtomentalwellness.com. The book is called The Road to Mental Wellness. I'm going to have all that in the show notes. You can buy it on Amazon and other places. Uh, you can read his blog at roadtomentalwellness.com. John, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, it has been a wonderful experience talking to you. Much power, yes, peace to you. And to you and yours, and any time, you know, next time you got something new coming on, we'd love to have you back, man. It's been a pleasure. I'll come back without it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> John, have a great day, man. You too. Nice talking to you. Thanks, buddy. We'll do it again. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.